The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. This is Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. Don't take it personally. They're just trying to figure out if you're a gold digging whore. You know, like my podcast. Woohoo! This is a fun movie. Yeah. We are talking Ready or Not from last year, 2019. And have to say, I was really kind of shocked that it took me as long as it did to, to actually pick up the film and... Man, I really like this movie a lot. Before we get too far into it, though, I think we need to say a huge thank you to all of our followers and listeners and supporters and guests and everyone who is on the podcast in the year 2019. We had mm-hmm. a banging year of 2019. We did some awesome stuff here on the podcast, and it's just so incredible that people keep listening to us yeah absolutely it's been a lot of fun it's it's continuing to be a lot of fun and this is yeah this is our 40th episode can you believe that Ooh, that's pretty amazing yeah well we might have to do something when we hit 50 all right so now that niceties are aside let's talk about murder and death and intrigue and the devil and you know games hide and seek are we really gonna play that the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? I mean, stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> no, thank you. Good luck. So, quick plot review. Um, budget Margot Robbie, bless her heart, Samara Weaving, who is so underrated. Where has mm. she been all our lives? Um, she's just been making lots of horror movies lately. She's awesome. Um, yeah. She's getting married to a very dapper-looking gentleman by the name of Alex, if I'm not mistaken. That's not his brother, right? Daniel's his brother? Um, yes. Let me double-check. Yeah. Um, Le Domas is the family, and they are rich. And when I say rich... I mean it with a capital R and an exclamation point, because it's crazy. Yeah, they, they got some uh, money to throw around. And everything seems to be a little tense. Alex is very concerned about her getting married to him. He even gives her like an out, like if you want to turn around, do it now. You're not quite sure what's going on. Everyone seems to have a very serious demeanor. You see this super awesome aunt she looks like such a badass and then they get married and it's still very almost melancholic the cinematography for this section i thought was stunning the the location that they filmed it on was beautiful i would love to know where they did that this huge kind of victorian mansion i I know it's up in canada somewhere but i'm not exactly sure where so to fast forward a little bit uh the night of the wedding the domas family way back when their ancestor kind of made this pact with this very enigmatic character by the name of Labelle. 
And that pact was that anytime someone in the family gets married, they have to kind of draw this card. And if it was hide and seek, then they play a game of murder. They literally play hide and seek. And it's not just tag you're it, it's tag you're dead. Uh, and of course, if you get a different game that comes up, then you can, you know, play whatever comes up. You know, it can be Go Fish, it can be Canasta, whatever. But <laughs> Canasta? How old are you? Well, LaBelle has a lot of old games in there. I'm sorry, but Canasta? I just was not expecting that in the slightest from you, Nathaniel. <laughs> That's why I threw it your way. <laughs> anyway, keep going. I'm just going to giggle. It could be Parcheesi. It could be Bridge. I know all kinds of old person games. Clearly. You are almost 30. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so old. But yeah, so so I one thing that you kind of skipped over, though, is that we kind of first learn about how uh, intense this, uh, you know, game of hide and seek really is with just kind of the cold open where we just see these children hiding as, as they watch someone trying to futilely hide and then get dragged out and murdered. And, and you know, they, they help the, the family know where to, to murder them. And so, so these are uh, the groom and, and his brother as children watching their aunt play this game or her her husband you know have uh, be murdered as, as the result of this game so it seems like hide and seek doesn't come up often but it is you know that that's that's part of the deal that's that's the big important scary game but yeah so we have basically samara weaving's character grace she yeah isn't taking this seriously she's just like this is crazy like let's just you know have our wedding night and it's like no we have to do this thing yeah, so the the game comes up and she is being hunted. They don't really tell her, "Hey, like we're going to kill you," but she she uh, picks up on that pretty fast as she's trying to hide, and then she suddenly sees them all walking around with weapons, and they actually try to kill her, and you know, accidentally kill a maid, and you know, so I mean, it, it's it's fairly straightforward for for most of, of the film. You know, we have kind of beat after beat of of her managing to get away and and it becomes you know more and more desperate as it goes on and and you know she she kills more and more of them they kill each other it's you know it's it's a big mess they're not exactly super good at hunting people for sport and i think the word that best describes this movie as a whole would be fun yes. like it doesn't take itself too seriously the plot is i think very well thought out there's a little bit more that i'd like to see which we'll get at um, but from start to finish, it it keeps you entertained so well. I never thought that it was going over, um, that it ended too soon. Like It was just such a fun and enjoyable experience for a horror movie. It's gruesome and it's very graphic at parts. But it's it's so fun and it's an original story. You know, everyone complains that there's nothing original out there anymore. And this is one of those things that it is. I've never seen something like this. This was a movie that I, I became aware of because I, I saw a trailer drop and I was like, really? It's a one about hide and seek. And, but I watched the trailer and I'm like, oh, maybe. But, you know, when I finally decided to, to rent it and I, I, I really, like, in, in retrospect, really wish I would have seen it in theaters because it was, like you said, it's it's so much fun. Like, it is a movie definitely made for horror fans. It definitely has a lot of the gore, a lot of the violence and, and things like that that are kind of so ingrained into, into the genre. 
but it's it's humor for horror fans. Like there's a lot of laugh out loud moments, and and you know it, it makes some some fun social satirical points and things like that. But you know, really at the end of the day, yeah, it is a fun, stylish, exciting movie for horror fans, and I I absolutely loved it. And I think part of that and why it was so fun and engaging is the acting is sublime throughout the entire movie even this, these side piece characters that we'll kind of talk about a little bit more in detail they were right on the spot as far as their characterization goes there were just so many levels to everybody even like the throwaway maids you see like three of them die and it's perfect their acting was just so incredibly fun agreed i i, I feel like especially like samara weaving with with the character Grace or Mark O'Brien, who plays uh, her husband Alex, you know they they were the kind of the more serious characters in the film, and you know were able to you you, you kind of see some more complexity to to how they're performing it. A lot of the other characters were a little bit more cartoonish, but like not in a, I don't mean that in a negative way. What what I really mean is that like their characters are very ridiculous. You know, we have the sister who has hasn't really done anything with her life and has just done, you know, basically just does a bunch of cocaine or whatever to to, you know, because, you know, her her family's from money, so like why not? You know, we have the the brother who is super sarcastic and you know calls his wife a whore that's what that's what the line is from and and really just you know doesn't see himself as being important you know we, we see these kind of very over the top caricatures of of rich people but it works for the film in in a very uh, effective way because these are the kind of people that like you could actually maybe see hunting someone for sport like i said and it, I think, like you mentioned, they are kind of cartoony, but the the feel of the movie, the plot, and how it kind of starts and ends, it they fit. Like there's yeah. no disjointed, kind of over the top acting at all. And let's kind of move into the family itself. I mean, you mentioned a lot of kind of the rich tropes that are involved, but I think even beyond that a lot of the characters that we see in this family are very authentic to what is in a traditional family nowadays you know you've got your weird estranged aunt or uncle and we see that with this kind of hyper violent aunt who experienced hide and seek before but we don't know this until later on you you can you can piece it together pretty fast but yeah she she is the one whose husband gets killed at the very start of the film. And and so, yeah, she's bitter about it forever. And so, yeah, she's so excited that she gets to do this to someone else. And then you see the, the very stoic mother who, Samara Weaving's character, Grace, she's an orphan. And so she's kind of like taking her under her wing with some passive aggressive jabs, which is very like monster in law kind of development in my mind. And then you've got the boisterous and overeager father figure who is just super excited about this game. He's committed. He's serious about it. But at the same time, he's pretty, pretty slap happy about killing somebody. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you can definitely tell that he's, he's drunk in the, the Kool-Aid. Right. And, and then you have, like you mentioned, this, kind of ridiculous daddy's girl quote unquote who has done nothing with her life and loves cocaine and her 
husband who's just kind of the deadbeat brother-in-law who married into all of this like all of these tropes i thought were super fun because we've seen them all in our families or just you know we've seen them in in movies before things like that like it's it's familiar but but we haven't necessarily seen these characters turned quite to this level where yeah they they literally have to like run around with like an, an antique crossbow and try to you know kill somebody it works because they are so kind of dumb because of the, the richness of it all that of course they don't know how to work this antique crossbow. So let me take a break in the bathroom and watch a YouTube video about it. Like, yeah, that's one of my favorite moments. It's just him just... sitting and watching the, so you have a, a crossbow. This is how you use a crossbow. Like, oh man, <laughs> like it, just, it, it, it slayed the... me. The writers thought through it so well, I think. I I really enjoy this movie. It's going to be a buyer for me, I think. Let's talk, though, about our two main characters, Alex and Grace, because Grace is such a heroine, I think, and such a breath of fresh air when it comes to final girls. I really like Grace because she has a lot of personality. Like, this whole thing is alien to her. You know, she doesn't come from money. She you know, grew up in a foster home. She's so excited to finally have a family. She's very sincere. And then suddenly she has this thrown at her. And, and I liked the way that she, her, her initial reaction was just shock. Like this cannot be happening. And so she just tries to, to hide. She tries to find her husband, just tries to find out like, what is going on? This can't be serious. This can't really be happening. But then as things go on, you know, she immediately is like, you know what? Like, I guess this is the situation I'm in. Like, let's, I, I, I need to hide. I need to arm myself. I need to do whatever I can to, to survive. And so, you know, I love that, like, pretty early into the film, you know, and, and you know, and, and she's running around in a wedding dress. And so pretty early she rips off the bottom of the dress and, you know, you see her in yellow converse and a, and a wedding dress and it's, it, it's kick ass. Yeah, it's totally kick-ass. I just love how she's smart. Like, there is that kind of shock and horror of, oh my gosh, they really are trying to kill me. Like, this is not a joke. This is not a game. This is Mm -hmm. murder. And you see her kind of break down, but then there's a, a moment where she's talking with Alex and he's kind of explaining the situation and how sorry he is that he's brought her into this. And he never thought that she would choose the hide and seek card. And you can see Samara Weaving's character and the acting here is just phenomenal because you see her make that mental decision of, okay, this is a shitty situation. I'm going to win. I'm not going to die. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, you can do it. Um, and it's awesome. It's empowering. And it's it's cool to watch a female character like this just in yeah. the horror that she's faced. And, and along those lines, though, I, I also liked that not every decision she makes is like the thing that you would be, you know, that, that us as an audience are going like, yeah, that's the super smart way to go. Yeah, she's always like on the top of her game because she's not. No. Like she she's she's panicked at moments, she's confused, she's shocked by the things that are happening. She's unfamiliar with this place. And so yeah, she doesn't, you know, perfectly maneuver through everything, but she is very good at, you know, trying to where she fails in terms of being clever at times. She does a great job of just being persistent. 
you know, that, that, that I think is, is the best part where, you know, she doesn't always, ha- she's not always the smartest person in the room necessarily, but she is, she has the most gumption. She's always one step ahead, even if she's fumbling as she's moving or injuring herself. You know, she falls down this giant well when oh, she yeah, thought she, she gets was safe. all kinds of messed up. Yeah. She falls into this big pile of dead goat corpses, which again, dead human corpses, corpses and goats. Not a thing. Not not my thing. Please no. <laughs> um, and she freaks out a bit like any one of us would. But then she's like, okay, this happened. Let's go. Let's move on. How do I get out next? And I ah, I can't say enough about how awesome her character was. She's one of my new favorite horror characters, honestly. Agreed. Yeah, she she really just delivered. Um, and then uh, I also like that, you know, the, the other big character is Alex, her husband. And I like that he is a character with some complexity, you know, he, so part of the, the legend of, you know, LaBelle and why they have to play these games is that if you get married, not at the house and don't play the game, then you die. And so, you know, he, he knew that Grace, you know, really wanted to get married. And so he was like, okay, like, I don't want to go home to my family. I hate my family. They're, they're terrible. They're just, you know, stuck up and they're, you know, selfish and horrible you know, he's, he's trying to get out of this life, but he knows that in order to spend the rest of his life with this woman, you know, he either has to tell her about all of this stuff, which she won't believe, or he just has to go and just try to roll with it and hope for the best. And then, you know, he gets the worst possible scenario. And so I like that he is in over his head because he, you know, this is, this is the worst possible scenario that he could have ever dreamed of, but he never thought that it could happen like this. Again, the way he acts and the way he kind of handles the situations makes you feel so empathetic for him. The scenes with him and Grace are very emotional and very like, I couldn't tell you about this because I loved you so much and I really didn't think it would come to this. Here we are. I want to help you survive. Like he is going against his family, against tradition, which I mean, we could talk about how it's very horrific to do that anyway Mm -hmm. um, and thousands of people especially within the lgbt community have to do this and and how much of a sacrifice i think it is for him that isn't explicitly said in the film but you feel it between these two characters you're always rooting for alex and you're always rooting for grace well not always for alex because he does (sighs) i know i didn't want to spoil it right now (laughs) <laughs> well, but I think that's an important beat to talk about with it, with his character. You know, Alex ultimately turns on Grace. You know, he has the moment where he feels like, you know, she she has, you know, murdered too much of his family now. And, and he, like, starts to, to really kind of change his tune. And, and, and so, yeah, he decides, okay, you know what? I'm going to help my family. It's for the best. And, and, you know, I guess, guess this is who I am. And so when he does that, and then Grace ends up winning at the end, spoiler, not, not that that will be a big surprise. That that's the ending you want and, and cheer for the whole time. And if you didn't get it, it would kind of suck, honestly. So when, when he, he changes his mind, I, I like the way that Grace, you know, realizes like, okay, well, like, you know, you wanted all these things, and, and I like, and and I like that she was angry at him, 
uh, very genuinely. Like, like you understand her motivations of like why she's angry at him, you know, throughout the whole movie of, of like, you didn't tell me about this stuff. You didn't trust me. You didn't ever give me a chance to maybe believe you. And, and so I, I like how sincere both of them are. And then, yeah, you understand why he decides to turn on her, even though it's a crap, crappy move and, and is obviously the wrong move. And it just makes that ending. Oh, so satisfying. Well, and it, it's awesome, too, at how quickly you switch from caring about Alex's situation to just absolutely hating him. And I think, for me anyway, that's that happened because of how strong I was rooting for Grace. Mm. And this was just the one hope that she kind of kept leaning on, come to find out a coin is flipped and now you're just like oh this poor girl she can't she can't win she cannot win but, but she, she does she does which is that ending scene with her and the cigarette is just glorious oh yeah <laughs> in-laws yeah let me yeah. tell you and, and part of, of also what I, I really love about this is that yeah so alex is is a if we're if we're gonna pull in some literary archetypes because you know i i have to because i'm a, an english teacher and you do it's fine <laughs> yeah so so he's a tragic hero where he you know is ultimately undone by his his flaws you know he's ultimately undone by his his past where where he he gives in to this desire to reconnect with his terrible family and things like that and so ultimately he decides to value them over this you know new life that he that he claims he wants to create and so i like that you know he that we have the tragic hero and then we have with grace you know her surviving against all odds and ultimately kind of realizing that like maybe she doesn't need to have a a family in her life to be a whole person because you know that's something that that you you kind of see throughout the the film you know with with the conversation she has with Alex or with the mom or things like that where yeah she's like yeah like I I grew up in foster homes I've never really had a family and like this is something that that has kind of defined her whole existence is is not having a family and and her wanting that and so at, I love that at the end basically she just says like you know what I'm enough for myself and I liked that. It's a strong thing to say where, like, yeah, it, it doesn't say that, that family is inherently bad, but but that, that you should be able to be a strong person on your own in, in spite of uh, whether you have a family or not. Yeah, and I think it's an extremely important message in today's society that, you know, you individuals are so much more than the sum of their past, and family is a part of that past. And yes, we we take a lot of good and a lot of bad from our families, but at the end of the day, it's up to us as individuals to kind of decide our destiny. And I I think that was kind of one of the deeper messages with Ready or Not. And I just hope we can see more material like this coming through because it spoke to me on a very spiritual level that you don't need family traditions to be a badass. Yeah. another theme that we can talk about is man rich people can really suck between this and knives out this year and parasite and parasite yeah which was gypped from the oscars which is a whole nother episode we should no no parasites up for best picture and oh my gosh that is right i completely forgot about that i think i was thinking about none of the leads getting nominated for 
best. Yeah, that's messed up. Agreed. Anywho. Yeah, but yeah, I I, I saw the, the those three movies listed as the Screw the Rich trilogy. Yeah, because <laughs> it's it's insane. I I like that that it does show how insane it can be in terms of yeah these these honored traditions or things like that. What I really loved about the film um, is that you know we have this this you know very Faustian bargain that was made, and but the the thing is like none of these family members really knows if it's true or not. Like they've yeah, kind of just blindly fun. followed this edict from kind of crazy ancestors to oh you you have to to do this thing. And and you know like there's there's they have some reasons to believe it you know they they have had instances where family members have died if they didn't get married there and and do the game and all of that like I like that 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 there are reasons to believe it but there's also plenty of reasons to not believe it because like it is kind of a cuckoo bananas thing to to say <laughs> I I want to kind of go back a little bit to this extreme comparison of the rich versus the poor do you think it's ever gotten this bad like where just the rich are so rich that they literally will treat the poor like sport for murder i know it's very hyperbole here of course with this medium but what do you think mr literary well, I have several literary examples just ready to go. <laughs> I'm that's why I ask. I just wanted you to say it out loud. Well, okay, so so the idea of of a rich person hunting people for sport is nothing new. Absolutely. You know, we have, you know, the most dangerous game, stuff like that. Like it's it's a it's a trope. Like it's a thing. You you know, look up TV tropes, you know, hunting for sport, I'm sure you'll find a gazillion entries. So this idea isn't necessarily super fresh or new by any means. This disparity of wealth is definitely something that we've seen all throughout human history. And I love that the response of people who are, are less wealthy uh, or who are you know more socially conscious are, is almost always satirical in like the most nasty way possible. So, you know, obviously with this, you know, we have someone just you know killing a bunch of rich people by the end of it and it's great and bloody and wonderful and fun <laughs> in the past though you know we have things that you know there, there's some kind of more gentle things it's horatian satire where it's it's more gentle and getting people to laugh at themselves and we have stuff like classic epic poem the rape of the lock which is just about like some rich guy stealing a hair a lock of hair from a girl and like them acting like it's a big epic poem like like is you know this this like mythological event but it's just stupid but then on the flip side you know we also have satire that is juvenilian satire which is super biting and nasty uh, which i would say this this film is, absolutely fits within that um category uh but but what comes to mind is a modest proposal where you know jonathan mm. swift basically just was like oh hey all you rich people are complaining about like these poor people everywhere and oh what a what a what a horrible eyesore they are and things like that. You're just like, you know what? You're you people are monsters. So let's just like address it directly. You should you know, I don't know, why don't why don't you eat a eat their babies? Yeah, that's a good point. I never even thought about a modest proposal. That's a like that's iconic. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and like it's iconic for a reason. It's it's like the most sarcastic, powerful piece of satire ever written. Honestly, this you know I would say is at least of a similar vein to something like a modest proposal because like yeah, this is nothing new. Like wealth disparity has been since freaking money was invented, since wealth was a thing that could be accumulated, and so you know the the question is you know what do you do. You know, do you do good with your money or do you just, you know, are you selfish with it? And this this is definitely, you know, the, the long uh, a conversation that, that will always exist. And I like that satire like this or A Modest Proposal exists to, to say, like, it's kind of messed up. Like, you're, you know, even if you aren't actively going out and eating babies or killing people for sport <laughs> you're you're still like failing to do any good with your money you you might as well be doing those things because you have the potential to do the opposite yeah that's a great point this is why i asked you that question because i knew you had it in you oh, oh. <laughs> yeah i i have that just like ready to go at any time i can i, I can lecture about a modest proposal for so long as one should if anyone who is listening has not had the experience of a modest proposal go go change that it's it's brilliant pause the podcast right now read a modest proposal it's like six pages long not that big of a deal read it it is just horrifying but hilarious (laughs) i think we've kind of touched about how this movie masterfully combines awesome horror with hilarious comedy moments you have a a note on our show notes that you loved how grace's dress as the movie progressed just would get dirtier and bloodier and it was kind of almost a, a symbol of how far she had come yeah like at the beginning it was a quintessential wedding dress and by the end of it it was a rag i just thought that was beautiful as well well, and and what part part of what I like about that so much is that you know when it starts out, yeah, it's it's this gorgeous lace wedding dress that's you know probably a gazillion dollars, you know, because yeah, she's she's marrying into this mega rich family, and then as soon as crap starts going down, it yeah, she just rips it off, or you know, rips it off the bottom, and then as it goes you know further and further and further, yeah, it's just like blood splatter, blood splatter, blood splatter, it gets bloodier, nastier, dingier. And by the end of it, it's it's not just like a rag necessarily. It it almost just looks like it's a totally different color of dress. It look like it looks like it's a red dress. And so what I like is that like she's no longer married at the end because Alex dies. Um and and so like yeah, like she's a whole different person by the end. And so like it shows her transformation as a person. And, and it just, like, it, it's a really cool set piece to, to have. Like, I think I was reading uh, some stuff about the production, and I think they had, like, 17 versions of the dress. Oh, wow. Just, you know, that way they could just, you know, pr- prepare all of the, the different versions of, of different bloody levels and all that. But, yeah, I think it's great. And also, it's just, like, the, the, the visual of, you know, this bride in yellow converse in a bloody dress is just like such a cool like iconic image that really just like nails it like just the visuals in this like the the gorgeous cinematography the beautiful set uh, of this you know mansion the you know even like labelle who spoiler is real um 
is like he looks really cool like i i don't know i I loved everything about this just like the visuals and not to mention yellow's your favorite color and converse are your favorite shoes so yeah yellow converse are awesome i feel like i feel like that's what was going on here nothing well i do own yellow converse (laughs) <laughs> but I but but I won't use them to cosplay as as great. I would pay good money to see that. And I mean good money. Well, we might have to negotiate some because I I mean I, I it's not one hundred percent off the table. The money's good enough. <laughs> oh. Um let's talk about a few of the things that we may not have loved about the show. Okay. Because we'd just been gushing um, over it for so long. For real, we need to we need to bring it down a notch. I felt I loved the LaBelle story. I thought that was super fun. I would have liked it better had it not been real, and that it, this was just like blind obedience for all of these years, and it was just superstition and tradition. I was really hoping for that, and then it did turn supernatural. I feel like that kind of weakened a few things for me. It felt a bit. F- forced i really would have loved it if it was just like a chaotic family tradition gone to shit (laughs) so i actually feel the opposite on that i'm gonna i'm gonna make an argument for it because to me what i liked about it is that they didn't know if it was real or not but you know so so to me like it's just as sincerely like a ridiculous chaotic tradition because like, they really don't have any rational good reason to believe that LaBelle is real and that, you know, that, that they will all die if they fail to kill her. That's totally off the wall. They, they really shouldn't actually believe that. And the fact that it ends up being real, to me, just made that ending, oh, so satisfying. Because she prevails. The Basically, yeah, the only people left are... What, the dad and Alex. And, yeah, because they lose. Pop! Blood. Oh, man. just They just exploded in a gush of blood. It was so... It really worked for the ending for me. Because, like, to me... Yes, like, the chaotic family that you want was already there. Like, even if there wasn't the supernatural ending, it, it would be just the same. Because... Either way, they're still the same people, and and they made the decisions based on a really unlikely tradition. And I get that. I think that that is a good point of view there. I, I just, I don't know. I think it would have spoke a little bit more to the horrors that family traditions can do to people sometimes. And especially if you were believing it was a supernatural movie. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't. And the dad and Alex are fine. And she now has to kill them. I think that, for me, would have been like, ugh. All of this was done in vain. Like, they could have been happy. But I see your point. I totally see what you're saying. And so I think it's it's kind of the, a different side to the same coin a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can honestly see, see why why you would prefer it not going that way but but labelle looks so great and and people oh, blowing he did. up looks so great <laughs> and that was fun like i think that was it was a satisfying way to just kill everybody in a very demonic satan kind of way um 
Taylor and I, like, high-fived each other and just were like, yeah! Yeah! Yeah. And I laughed out loud. Like, it it was just one of those moments where it was like, yeah, Satan would do that. Yeah! (laughs) My biggest gripe is I would have loved to see other games being played out in this very violent manner. I love that it was hide-and-seek. That was fun. But other games, I think, would have been cool. Like Ghost in the Graveyard or Capture the Flag, even. And and maybe we'll get a sequel that will. Who knows? I doubt it. It, it felt very complete. But but I, I do agree. Like Maybe not a sequel, but like another Ready or Not 2, Capture the Flag. <laughs> eh, maybe. Uh, I, I wouldn't be excited, but it could it could happen. Yeah, you would have to have a killer, really, really killer script for me to be interested. But yeah, what I, I agree. Like, I I feel like it would have been interesting if even it just if there was a little bit more to the games that the others had to play. Because you know, it's like, oh yeah, I had to play Go Fish. Oh, I played Old Maid. Like that was just kind of like a, a throwaway joke around the table as as they're you know having her pick the card. But yeah, like I I wanted to see like okay, so did they have to win? Like what? what happened there you know it seems like yeah the only one with any real significance is hide and seek and i just kind of wanted to know yeah why hide and seek i i just would like to see maybe yeah some some you know at least like light supernatural spookiness or something to to the or or just like ridiculous intensity to them having to play old maid <laughs> yeah or canasta <laughs> yeah or bridge. <laughs> After kind of talking about it, I think Alex's emotional flip was executed better than I was thinking when I wrote my notes. It did seem authentic, but it also kind of felt like it was against the rest of the movie. It just felt very sudden when I first saw the movie. Talking it through a little bit, though, on this episode has swayed me a little bit to see a little bit more authenticity. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I feel like... I think it was good. Yeah, I feel like it could have been played up a little bit more of of why he decided to to switch sides. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, it really boils down to his brother died, and then his mom died. And, like, I just... But, like, his brother dying wasn't Grace's fault at all. But he he like assumes it is. I don't. Know, I I just wish that yeah that that we would have seen kind of more of his thought process a little bit, or you know even if he just explained it a little bit more because he kind of like panickedly explains oh well, you know I I I don't I I love you all that stuff at the end before he goes pop. I just would have liked to see maybe a little bit more of him explaining himself because that that would have made it a little bit more grounded. Yeah, definitely. Um, the only other thing as far as a gripe goes if you can even call it a gripe is i just loved the crazy aunt i think her aesthetic was cool i think her attitude was awesome i wanted more yeah she was pretty freaking great all right let's move into screams and crowns i think unless there's anything else you wanted to chat about eh, nothing else is coming to mind i just just want to say again i really freaking like that movie a lot like it yeah like well, I guess I'll, I'll just say this now. Like, it might be my favorite horror movie from last year. Really? That's a big statement. Like, it, I don't think it was the scariest or, you know, necessarily, like, the most well-constructed. But just, like, in terms of what movie I'm going to revisit from last year, it's probably going to be that one. 
I feel like Ari Aster just pissed in his pants a little bit, mister. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, Midsummer is, like, a very masterful film, but, like, Midsummer isn't necessarily a movie I want to, like, put myself through over and over and over again. Well, ready or not, like, I'm freaking ready to watch it again today. I could probably watch it again next week. Like, it's a blast. Crowns, I gave it an 8, and I am kind of wanting to give it an 8.5, even maybe a 9. Like... It's an awesome show. Watch this show. Yes. It's not, I mean, it's graphic and it's pretty intense at some parts, but it's not vulgar. It's not crazy demonic. Like, it's a blast. It's a great show. Yeah. Uh, I also gave it uh, an 8, but I too also, you know, kind of danced around 8.5 or 9. I don't know, let, should we just say that, that we can give it a... a a combined 8.5 just because we both really want to yes <laughs> okay awesome screams i gave it a four it wasn't really that scary but i mean like i said it, it, it's a movie for horror people even if it's not the scariest movie agreed and i gave it a five um there were some scenes that kind of got under my skin a little bit the the kid shooting her with a gun falling into the well it wasn't terrifying but it did get under my skin more than i thought it would it got that goat bump for you oh that's dumb goats <laughs> she did not want to live deliciously let's just say that <laughs> um why does this movie work so well as far as hide and seek i feel like there's been a few other movies that have played on the game trope i, I wrote a few down and i don't know if they quite fit Candyman is kind of the the Bloody Mary in the mirror three times. You have Saw, which is not really the same. Wanna play game? Yeah, like, it, it's torture porn. It's not anything near what we watched with Ready or Not. Truth or Dare comes close. It's an abysmal movie, but it's this idea of playing Truth or Dare, and the dares get progressively worse and worse. Yeah, there's also, like, that would you rather not go Yeah. And maybe Jumanji, which I don't classify as a horror, but it's another kind of board game or, action. Or, I mean, I guess last year there was also Escape Room. Yeah, I never saw that I, one. I didn't either. I heard it wasn't good, but, you know. So so what works with this movie that maybe a few of these others haven't really done? To me, it it really still felt very true to this idea of a game. And, and the whole thing was built around the idea of games. I'll say that Jumanji, I think, works really well as as a movie, but it's, yeah, it's just not horror. But yeah, a lot of these other ones, they're just, they, they, they were kind of, and, and and really when I'm saying other ones, I'm mostly talking about, you know, Escape Room or Truth or Dare or Would You Rather, that kind of thing. Those were kind of movies that were just like, hey, like, this is a thing that, that teenagers do, right? And, and, so, <laughs> yeah. and so that was kind of the the intent was like, hey, let's capitalize on what some, you know, teenagers do. And, and to, to make a quick buck, you know, just kind of the cheap horror movies churned out for teenagers that they don't really, that the studios and the people making them don't really care about. But for this movie, it was, it was made by people who you can tell absolutely love horror, love what they do. They're, they're, you know, skilled filmmakers, actors, you know, the whole shebang. And so, you know, the, this game idea was done very sincerely and and with a lot of energy and 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 humor and and, and you know like it, it's self-aware of how ridiculous it is and and that's what makes it work you know they, they really lean into how ridiculous the idea is 
to to make a, a hide and seek horror movie but it's still a blast because they they really just roll with it and i would totally agree i think the sincerity behind this show they were not trying to make some cultural amazing movie but they did uh, they weren't trying to force a teenage cliche or a childhood cliche i think it was just done with like you mentioned just a fun heart like let's make a fun movie and call it good mm-hmm. and they did it perfectly like i would agree with you it's one of the best horrors of 2019 i don't think it's my favorite but it it's amazing it's so good go watch this movie all right nathaniel um how are you staying spooky nowadays well i am staying spooky not nearly as much as i would like to just based on the fact that i'm dealing with a end of semester stuff as a teacher but other than the the terror that is just dealing with teenagers sometimes the thing that that came to mind actually is just and and this is going to be feel totally out of left field uh for, for probably a lot of the the horror folks listening but the thing that has kind of stuck out to me is as the thing that has been my my big spooky go-to in the last little bit is just star wars rise of skywalker <gasps> it's so good yeah it's so good. I don't care what people say. I love it. <laughs> I I also agree that that people on the internet are wrong. Okay, Star Wars fans are the worst kind of nerd fans. I'm yeah, coming to to totally agree with that sentiment. Like holy cow people, go have a drink, pop a Xanax, go sleep with someone. There are better things to argue about on the internet. Holy moly. Agreed. And so don't add us about us being wrong about Star Wars because I'll just block you. <laughs> Savage. I just, I don't have time for that. But what I was going to say is that that Rise of Skywalker works for, for this uh, segment because it was a pretty genuinely creepy movie at times. Like the Emperor was a straight up like horror monster at times and it was really cool. Yeah, the, the the CGI and the effects that they have for him, those like deep set red evil dead eyes that he was giving us at the and, like, end. Full on like zombie hands that are like that like are partially torn up and oh man. Yeah, I was living for it. And the moment when Ray, we think, blows up Chewbacca. If that's not horror, <laughs> don't know what is. <laughs> We might want to put a disclaimer that there are Star Wars spoilers in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Bear with me here for my stings, Spooky. Okay. I'm recently broken up. That means I have a lot of free time on my hands, which means I've watched an obscene amount of horror film <laughs> since New Year's. Yeah, you keep blowing up my text with, with talking about that, which I'm totally cool with. I think I've clocked... 14 horror movies since january 2nd which is almost one a day it's bad it's bad (laughs) more than one a day my favorite not my favorite but the most fun i've had with them is there's one it's an into the dark series from hulu it's called midnight kiss and it's so bad it's so bad but it's also so good at the same time it's about this group of gay guys who every year for new year's go party and the rule is you can kiss someone at midnight with no strings attached they bring their fun sassy straight girl 
and there's a mysterious man in a fetish pup hood who comes and kills everybody and there's lots of glitter lots of butts and it's ridiculous but so fun at the same time so that's how i'm staying spooky oh man okay it was wonderful and i'm gonna make you watch it one day and you're just gonna groan the entire time but it will be lovely you know that if if you do this to me then i will definitely make you watch some horrible b horror movie that you're gonna hate and i'm gonna that i enjoy a great deal challenge accepted a few things that are exciting that are coming up i have the wonderful opportunity to go to london for a week for work and I'm going to try and do as much spooky stuff as I possibly can. There's a Jack the Ripper tour that I'm excited for. I'm visiting the uh, one of the original occult stores that the founder of Wicca created, which is amazing. And Aleister Crowley visited there multiple times. So that's fun for me. And so I'll be sharing a lot on social media, on my Twitter and on our instagram that we are horrible in keeping up with however that might mean it might be a little bit of a delay before the next episode comes out i'm hoping not but if that happens we do apologize yes and then i guess just a thing that's coming up on on my end of things is that uh, i'm going to be attending life in the universe and everything conference which is in provo utah from february 13th through the 15th this is a writing conference it is more uh sci-fi and fantasy than horror but there's definitely horror in the mix i wasn't able to get on any panels but i'm gonna be there i'm gonna be definitely you know sporting a scream king shirt and so if you listen and you know see a guy walking around with the scream king shirt it's almost certainly me so come talk to me so I I would be just beyond thrilled. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at ScreamKingsPod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.